Today, our guest is David Marquis. David is an expert on leadership and innovation. He imagines a workplace that everyone engages and contributes their full intellectual capability, a place where people are healthier and happier because they are more controlled of their work, a place where everyone is a leader. David is the author of Turn the Ship Around, and also the book we're speaking to him about today, Leadership is Language. Enjoy the interview. Welcome to the Business Bookshelf. I'm your host, Lance Pepler. Like you, I'm a lifetime learner and find books one of the best ways to do this. The purpose of this podcast, then, is to interview authors of new business books, get insight into their thinking, lives, and businesses, all in a light, friendly manner. So this is actually episode 100 of the podcast, and so that's something to celebrate. Yay! I've learned such a lot during the podcast. It's also taught me perseverance and tenacity. I'll be continuing to do the podcast, and maybe I can reach 200 episodes. So as I said in the introduction, today we're speaking to David Marquis, and very, very privileged to do so. Here's a little more about David. He is a retired United States Navy captain. He was the commander of the submarine USS Santa Fe. He turned the submarine from the worst in the fleet to being the most successful by using a leader-leader model of leadership. He became captain of the submarine in 1999, and since his retirement, the submarine has continued to win awards. David is the author of Turn the Ship Around and also the book we're speaking to him about today, Leadership is Language. Most of us use the language we inherited from a time when workers worked with their hands and managers worked with their heads. Today, your people do much more than simply follow orders. They contribute to performance and solve problems, and it's time we updated our language to reflect that. So welcome to the podcast, David. Thank you, Lance. Thanks for having me on the Business Bookshelf podcast. It's fantastic to have you. So David, where am I speaking to you from today? I'm in Florida, down south of Tampa. And David, my go to my go my general get to know the guest question is if a guest, like if I ever got into a plane and went to visit Tampa Bay, what would you go and take me to see around your area uh, as a tourist? Um, what would you what would we spend the afternoon doing? We'd go to the beach, of course. <laughs> is that your favorite spot on the weekends? Uh, yeah, I like the beach. I, I, I do ocean, open ocean swimming and swim up and down the shoreline. And um... Well, oceans obviously have played a very important role in your life. And well, right. I guess you... there's something about the submarine thing that takes me back to the ocean. <laughs> yes, that's right. So I, I've heard you on more than one podcast, obviously. Uh, and your first book is around the USS Santa Fe. And you must have told the story a million times, but it's an absolutely fantastic story. Could you start by just giving us an overview of your career and how you led to being captain of the USS Santa Fe and your, 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 your role on the, on the ship? Yeah, well, in high, in high school, we were in the middle of the Cold War, and I was this sort of geeky, awkward, introverted kid. I was on the math team, chess club, that kind of thing. I wanted to do my part. Well, where are you going to go? Submarines. Submarines hide from people. That's where introverts are going to go. So <laughs> I signed up for that, and I got... I had no idea what I was getting into. And I was thrust into this structure where it's very hierarchical. You do what you're told. And I would say, yeah, but I was like everybody else. It was in on a little secret and that I was not in on, which was, yeah, I know it's stupid, but do it anyway. 
and but mm. why and but why i keep raising my hand and or the awkward person who didn't get it and uh sort of like tom hanks and in, in big yeah <laughs> and uh but 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 i was good at telling people what seeing problems figuring out what to do and telling the team uh, how to how to get it done so i got promoted and they said you're gonna be a submarine commander that was my dream job that's what i wanted wow. i was trained for a year to go to one ship and i ended up as it would i went to a different submarine because it was the worst performing submarine in the fleet and the captain quit mm. and the the key was it was a different kind of submarine so the specific details of the ship were different it was one of the newest ships never been on a never been on the kind of submarine before i show up i have two weeks to, to take over. And my mindset is I'm going to tell people what to do and they're going to do it. And I made a mistake with an order. It was a trivial order. Basically shift into second gear for a car that only had one gear. There's only one gear, <laughs> uh, but I didn't know that. And it hit me that in the past, whenever I made a quote, bad order, what my desire was to get was to give better orders. Mm. I viewed myself as a decision maker, getting the team to do my will. Cause I could see better. I knew better. And that was my job. And now I couldn't do that because there was so much that I didn't know. So I, I said, that's not a feasible solution. I wanted to do it, but it couldn't. They said, what I needed, the problem isn't that I'm making bad decisions. The problem is I'm the one making decisions. So we need to create a structure where as captain, I never have to make a decision. Mm. And we did it through language. All I said was, I'm, I got the team together. They, so they all saw what happened. So there was no secret. And I say, hey, we got to fix this. In the old days, what I would have said is, no, you're proactive, speak up, take initiative. And I'd heard that speech 100,000 times. It has no impact uh -huh. until we actually change the words that we use. And so what you need to do is when the team comes to you and says, hey, what do, you, what, what do I do about this? You think you know the answer. You want to blurt it out because that's going to make progress. You don't say that. What you say is, well, what do you, th what do you see? What do you think? What would you do if I weren't here? What would you do if you had to make this decision on your own? And you basically get them to tell you what they would do. The magic word for us was intent. They say, Captain, here's what I see. Here's what I think is, is going on. Here's what I intend to do. Huh. And, and then they would do it. Unless I said no. The, the, the magic with intent is you can still say no, but if you don't say anything, they're still going off to do it. They own it. And they can never say with an intent-based leadership organization, no one can ever say, I knew it was stupid, but they made me do it anyway. Mm. Which is what you get in a permission-based organization or a command and control organization. But people, what happens is people, there's a sweet spot with intent because we get veto. But people say, no, 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 just do it. No, that's not bad. That's to me, just do is a bad idea, especially when you run a nuclear reactors and things like that. I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to find out later we melted down the nuclear reactor. So what so you say, here's, 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 this, here's what I intend to do. So mm. that was the magic. We had set records, blah, 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 for uh, 
performance and everything. But the key is over the next 10 years, more submarine commanders came from this one submarine than any other ship because they were thinking like leaders. That's the key. Mm. But it, it must take longer at the beginning to, to issue your directives in a way if you're going the intent route because then you, you're getting buy-in. And, and so it must feel at the beginning that everything's taking so much longer to do, Shirley. It, it, it doesn't take a lot longer. Sometimes I would just say, uh, let's say the engineer comes up to me and I'm sitting, there's this very special chair in the wardroom that the captain sits in. And he says, Captain, here's the problem. Um, what would you like me to do? And I would say, here, sit in this chair. And he would say, I put him in my chair. And he would be very awkward because you weren't supposed to do that. He, he'd mm. feel awkward. I'd say, sit here, 30 seconds. I'd go out, get a cup of coffee, come back and say, now, what do you think? And literally just saying, you sit in a position like me and letting them think. The, the reality is he already had it in his head. Mm -hmm. But we don't structure the conversation in a way that makes it easy for that to come out. Mm -hmm. So a lot of these didn't take a lot of time with the team. So for example, one of, the, one of our tricks was to vote first and then discuss something. We wouldn't discuss, it would actually be faster. So you talk about, hey, should we turn north or south? Uh, we got enemies giving conflicting signals. We don't know which way to go. Uh, and well, we talk about it, blah, 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 and then finally make a decision. What's happening is people are just sort of aligning with the group or, they're, they're, or what the boss thinks. If you vote first, you say, here's what I wanted to do. We would use cards. One, we use these one to 99 cards wow. or we use hand signals, zero to five. I'd say, if you feel really strongly about going south, show a zero. Feel really strongly about going north, show a five. If you so sort of strongly about going south, one, so zero to, so you can show any any number, one, zero to zero to five fingers fingers. I was there, ready, one, two, three, vote. Now we hadn't discussed it. <laughs> we hadn't discussed it. People would already have it, just they would come in with whatever their knowledge of the situation was. Mm. And then I would look for the zeros and the fives. And I say, okay, I see a whole bunch of fives, but only one zero. Let's hear from the zero. You always want to go to the minority first. And then now, so because in, if I ran the meeting the other way and I said, well, let's talk about it. All the fives would start talking about why we should go north. And the person who th who, who's thinking different from the group is likely not to speak up. For sure, we made it harder for them to speak up. And so we might never know what that person knows. Now, we may still go north but it may be tempered. They may say, you know what? I was here two years ago on another submarine and there's a big fishing area. The, the fishermen love that area. And so if we, if we go up there, we gotta really, we gotta set some other measures to watch out for fishermen because it's very dense in fishermen. And that may change our calculations. And we may end up going south or we may end up going north anyway, but still, but we now are smarter because we have everyone's opinion. It wouldn't have happened if we did the standard thing, discuss, then vote. You don't want to do that. But, but you can't use that decision-making for, for everything, obviously, um, because like your scenario about being in a war situation, then you have to step up and take your role as captain, Shirley. But then, and so I suppose that I wonder what percentage of kind of decisions you do that, that um, decision-making process, because I would have thought most of the decisions are standard. This is what we're doing. You need to do it rather than having these debates about what to do. That's not a decision. 
then then, then <laughs> you're just doing you're, you're just doing the work the 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 lube oil is low on the diesel engine we need to add lube oil that's not a decision yeah yeah that's just you're just doing the work decisions are things like should we launch 737 max software should we keep selling dvds should we change market plan? Should we go into this new business? Should we acquire mm. this company? I mean, this, this, these, these are, the, what features should we add to the software? What are we going to include in the next sprint cycle? Mm -hmm. These are the, the decisions that we're going to make. Otherwise you're just, if there's no decision, if it's just one option, that's not a decision. So don't waste your time, just do it. Absolutely. So David, we've just, gone straight into discussions, but I need to tell the listener that we're talking about your new book, which is Leadership is Language. So thank you so yeah. much for that. Um, could you, so you, we started talking about it, but could you give us an overview and the reason, the purpose, you've just started to talk about it. Um, I, I guess you, your purpose was that you wanted to change the leadership style and leadership language, but is that the purpose of the book? And can you give us a brief overview of it? Here's the problem. Over and over and over and over again, I would see teams that wanted to be inclusive. They wanted to invite thinking. They wanted to get, to get people to speak up. They wanted to get initiative. They wanted a bias for action. Mm -hmm. They wanted empowerment. They wanted all these things. But then over and over again, they would say words that would make it harder. In other words, the words that they were saying were not matching what they wanted. For example, the leader would say, so we're good for, for the product launch next week, right? Uh, and then no one would say, no one would take them on. No one would say, no, I think we need more testing. No, I think it's very complicated. We have security vulnerability. No one would say anything. And they would come to me and say, well, what's going on? I said, well, you asked the question wrong. You ran the meeting wrong. You ran the meeting in a way to coerce people to get them to agree with you. Mm. When you said, and first of all, when you said first what you thought, then when you added the little phrase right at the end, <laughs> da, 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 right? Uh. So let's say, let's say software is scheduled to be released next week, and you're now you're announcing a fact, not an opinion. You say, our software release is scheduled next week. How could this go wrong? How could we regret this? If, if in six months uh, we discover a problem, what's the most likely source of that problem? In other words, ask the questions that make it easy for people to give you disaffirming information. But we're just, we're just programmed to say, does that make sense, right? We good? Yeah. We're all good here, right? It's safe, right? Confirmation bias or, yeah. Yeah, and so, and, and we just want a bunch of bobbleheads nodding their head. We don't really want a conversation. So we say, uh, you gotta in, in, invite dissent and then embrace outliers, people who think differently. All innovations, all innovations are initially gonna sound like an outlying opinion. Otherwise it's not an innovation because it's already consensus. We already know it. So every innovation all, always sounds like, a, an outlying opinion. So when we run meetings in ways that make it harder for people to express outlying opinions, we're going to be less innovative, less creative, and not necessarily, not only on a macro, but on a very micro level too. It's going to take its toll on just sort of boring, unimaginative products that we mm. just 
and that we do every day. Mm. So in the book, Leadership is Language, you talk about another ship, the SSL Pharaoh, which was a cargo ship, David, and then it, it went missing, didn't it? Um, it was lost at sea. But uh, what role does that ship have in your book? Why did you include it in your book? So our hypothesis was that language really matters, that what's happening is people are, even though they want thinking environments, they're applying a doing language. And our hypothesis was that this, these language structures are left over from the Industrial Revolution. Because the Industrial Revolution was about the, the, the architecture of an Industrial Revolution organization was leaders got the doers to do what the leaders decided they needed to do. And we have different language, white collar, blue collar, leader, follower, whatever you want to use yeah. to, to embed that. But, but more perniciously, the language and the meeting structure is designed to accomplish that. So we looked at, so we started looking at a bunch of transcripts, airplane crashes, industrial accidents, anywhere we could get an actual transcript of what people said, not what we hoped they said or wished or wanted or trained them to say, but what people actually said. And we were looking for patterns. And we found over, over and over again, we found this very common pattern, which was very broadly speaking, people were applying a doing language to a thinking game. And doing language is about reducing variability. So they're applying a reduced variability language, get, get binary questions, get people to go along, doing binary, doing reduced variability language to a place where I wanted new ideas. And it was a mismatch. And so we weren't getting the creative ideas, we weren't getting the innovation, we weren't getting good decisions, we were making decisions based on just partial knowledge. People in the group would know things that the, that the decision maker would not know and they would not come out because we were applying the wrong language. And then I came across this tragic situation where the Alfaro uh, sailed into a hurricane and was sunk. All 33 people perished, their bodies were never recovered. Mm. And there's a black box on a ship like there is on an airplane. So the benefit of, of a ship's black box is you have bigger teams, you have more interactions, and you have longer period of time. So this is, there's a 500-page transcript from the El Faro, and that's publicly available. Mm. And so we, we mined the transcript, and, we saw, and it's just a very good crystallization of what we see. And we saw two patterns. Number one, the one pattern I already talked about, which is applying a doing language to a thinking situation. So the, mm. you see the ship, they have to make some decisions they, and they have a couple opportunities to divert and go behind the Bahamas, which would likely have saved them, but they can't get away from their doing language. The doing language has I'm continuing the sail on their previously determined track down to, Puerto Rico. The second pattern we saw is that it, we just, I, I remember I was on the math team. I was mm. a math geek. And so I just said, well, let's just count the words. And everyone was like, no, the words, what, what words matter? Say, so, yeah, I know we always focus on those. <laughs> let's just count the number of words and see that each person says and see what we see. And it turns out every single time 
a hunt that, that, that there was a captain, officer, and a crewman on the bridge. And we added up over the four hours or whatever that this these people were on the bridge. The mm. captain always said the most number of words. The officer said the next most number of words, and the crewman the, the third most number of words. In other words, wow. If I just told you these are the number of words these people say, guess what their positions are? You would have been a hundred percent correct if you just aligned the word count to their salaries. Mm. It was as if people had some internal meter. They knew, oh, I'm allocated a certain number of words. And then when the captain left, it, the the officer and the crewman. The crewman would speak up a lot. The crewman was said very few words. Typically, three to five percent of the total word count was from the crewman. Wow. No crewman said more than five percent of the words. Mm. And um, this is a measurable thing. And when you're in a meeting, the idea is to have a more even word count. That's all you need to think about. Mm. So there's, so A is the leaders talking too much and B is, are there quiet people who aren't sharing what they're thinking? Mm. And if you can just get it a little more even, you'll know more about the group and you, you'll, you'll anchor them less because you'll be, uh, as a leader, you'll be talking less. And we, uh, we measure this some, we, we made a virtual reality game where we can measure it in real time. Wow. Who's talking and we can show it. And it's very interesting. People generally tend to be very good about this. We would ask them, okay, during this part of the game, which of you said, the, who was the quietest person on the team? And people are always right. They, they always have a good sense of this. So you can measure it. Uh, you can count words. You can run your meeting through a transcript service and count the number of words each person said. But I think asking, just sort of getting a sense of it is, pro is probably good enough first order of magnitude. And uh, just in your head, your job is not to get people to go along with you. Your job is to even the word count. And when you think about that as a leader running a meeting, you'll have better meetings, you'll get more participation, you'll make more resilient decisions and you'll all be healthier and happier and richer. <laughs> that? <laughs> that's fantastic uh, and it, it takes quite a lot of humility I, I suppose for the leader uh, David I listened to a really interesting podcast the other day about this extroverted lady who champions the cause of introverts and she she says that the workplace is designed for extroverts and not introverts like you and me and then yeah. she said like you need to go in and you need to change the workplace so that the you know the low word count people actually get to view their opinions and you know, make them comfortable and safe for, for the introverts or the, the people that don't contribute very much to add their contributions to meetings, et cetera. Yeah, I, <laughs> I, I felt that for 28 years in the Navy. And when I was, had a chance to do something about it, I did. I, I, you know, I try not to, I mean, it's easy to sort of categorize and say, yeah, introverts and ex extroverts and they're good for this and we're good for that kind of a mm -hmm. thing. But I just think about, I think of it as it's a continuum. And the idea is rather than trying to change people, which, oh, by the way, is impossible and you won't be able to, like, I can't make an introvert become extroverted, but mm -hmm. I can create an environment where someone who's reluctant to speak up even an extrovert who has a different opinion, it's going to be a little harder for that person to speak up than if I run the meeting in a different way. 
Mm. If I run the meeting in a way, like I said, well, let's all vote before you know where everyone's vote is. And we throw out the cards and then you turns out you're the only one with a one. Well, it's already out there now. And so, and in a safe team, and I think psychological safety is hugely important. Mm. The, the, we never cared about psychological safety in industrial age organizations because I didn't care what you thought because you weren't here for your, your, your brain. We don't have all heads meetings. We have all hands meetings because I was yeah. hiring you for your physical labor. Absolutely, that's very true. So David, I know you can't go into any detail at all about your leadership plays, but, and I, I encourage everyone to read your fantastic book, but could you just tell us what they are? So there's six leadership plays, and one of them is connect with people rather than conforming to your role. Could you just yeah. tell us what they are and maybe a sentence on each, which obviously doesn't explain it in much detail, but just to give a high level overview of it. So with leadership as language, so we, so we took those transcripts and we said, okay, what are the patterns that we're seeing? And, the, and like I said, the overall pattern was applying doing language to thinking work. I said, well, what? And I, th I started thinking about it as a playbook. Like uh -huh. in this situation here to how I would respond. And so there are six plays that we inherited from the industrial age. And there are six ways we want to revise all those plays. The problem is you're, what we teach now is, oh, I want you, we're, we're trying to teach people how to control people better. That's not the approach we want to do. We want to learn how to not control people. So mm -hmm. the industrial age is a play number one, obey the clock. That's why we have, we clock in, we pay people by, um, by salary and, and, and there's always this sort of sense of the ticking clock. And yeah. now what we want to do is control the clock, which means I got to be able to say time out, relieve the sense of pressure so that we can shift into thinking mode. This is the first prerequisite to allowing your team to truly think is to relieve the stress of the clock. So if you say, oh, we, got, we don't have time, we just have to keep doing stuff, then you're never going to get real thinking. Number two, in the industrial age, the play is coerced. Now that's a strong word, but the structure is people, no one is doing what they're choosing to do. Leaders choose, rank level two chooses what rank level three should do and rank level three decides what rank level four should do. So we're all trying to control somebody else and in turn be controlled by somebody. And it's, everything is a coercion. Every, the languages, the main meetings are run, it's all, and then we put a little tiny asterisk and we say, oh, but we really want you to think, but it doesn't work. <laughs> so it's all about getting people to do stuff. And what we want is collaborate. Now people say, oh, but we do collaborate. So I run, so sometimes, so I have executives, they're sitting in a room, uh, so I have this, this, this organization, I had top 10, 10, the 10 top executives, two tables of five. Yeah. And I asked them a question and uh, it, it doesn't really matter, but what the question was, but the answer was around 130. And what happens is the, as soon as I ask the question, the, the one person at the end of one table blurts out 125. I'm saying take 30 seconds, take, take a minute at your table and decide what you're, and have, and the table has to agree on a number. So this, he says 125, and then they discuss it and that table gets to 125. And then the other table eventually comes up with 125. So you're all 125, did you guys collaborate? Oh yeah, well th that was the CEO <laughs> and, the, and the founder of the company. Mm. Of course they're all gonna come back at 125. Yeah. And so we're, you're paying a lot of money for people just to parrot back what's coming out of here. So what you want to do, so that's not collaboration. Mm. 
Then we comply. Leaders coerce the team to doing what they're doing. Then, then the team says, well, okay, I guess I'll do it. I know it's stupid. That's compliance. We beat people into compliance. What we want is commitment. If we collaborate, we get commitment. If we coerce, we get compliance. Then it's continue in the industrial age. So mm. we, we obey the clock. We coerce people into doing stuff. They comply. And then once we decide what to do, we want to run the assembly line as long as possible. Interruptions to the assembly, assembly line and interruptions to the work are unwelcome. Now what you want to do is complete, not continue, but complete. Chunk the works into small bits. Complete allows us to pause, celebrate, and reflect on what we're doing, which takes us to improve. In the industrial age, the play was prove. I got to demonstrate my worth. Mm -hmm. And so that wraps up a whole bunch of behaviors, which actually are allergic to true introspection, true reflection, feedback, and that kind of stuff. Now mm -hmm. we want to improve, which invites that. And then finally, the industrial age play was conformed. So we have all these power structures. We have uh, walking through the global headquarters in Switzerland of a big company and the carpet's getting thicker as I'm getting closer to the CEO and, <laughs> the and the attractiveness of our executive assistants. And you could, you have all these trappings yeah. of power and that's about building con conformance, uh, conforming to our role. And now we need to connect as human beings because, because as you said, it's about safety. And in order to feel safe, I need to have a healthy emotional life, which means I need to feel connected as a human being. This does not mean I need to spend a whole lot of time pretending to care when I don't care, but it just means showing up and being human at work and, and, and getting rid of these, these trappings of power. Because the more, the more I, I'm doing it to feel good about myself, and, the more, and because I'm feeding an insecurity. And the more I do that, the harder it is for people to talk to me. So the less I actually know about the problem in the organization, the less effective the organization is. <laughs> so what I want to do is, is flatten that power gradient so that I'm truly approachable, sit next to someone, get rid of the special parking spot, sit out with the, sit out with the team, walk around, get rid of the trappings, not perfectly flat, but mm. generally a lot better than we have it. And then mm. connect as human beings. But it also means sharing a little bit of information. There's an interesting study that said when uh, this was done in a housing project where they had these uh, policemen, this was a, a high crime area. And what they did was they gave uh, the policemen, they, gave the, they redid the little cards for the policemen where they had a little piece of information. Like I'm John, I'm, I'm here. I typically monitor this part of the housing area. On the weekends, I like to fish. Something like that. Mm. And then they surveyed. Crime went down. The bottom line is crime went down because they surveyed people and, and they said, they asked them questions like, do you think John understands you better? Or how well do you think John understands you? And when they had the information, People generally said, I think that John understands me better because it was, it was mirroring. They, the, the, John really didn't understand them better. They understood John better. And then they mirrored that and they felt like John understood them better. How well do you think John would be at detecting a, a crime? How, how good would John be at detecting 
if they interviewed you and you lied to John, how good do you think John would be at detecting your lies? And in all these cases, the slight reveal on the business card, those people were voting higher. So as a result, there was less crime in, in that area. Wow. So it's, it's just about, it's a connection. It's about being human because all, deci all decisions, decisions are emotional. Mm. All decisions are emotional. They pass through an emotional part of the brain. Description is not emotional. I see a chair. It has four legs and a white seat. That's not an emotional thing. What should mm -hmm. I do with the chair? How should I make the chair? What should I make the chair better? And especially if the decisions have to do with um, how should I improve work that I was part of? Because now my ego is attached to that. Mm -hmm. it, it's got to be healthy. We got to have good emotional lives. We got to be all connected as humans. Mm. Um, so, David, I'm going to move off your book now, but obviously everyone should re read it. And it sounds like it could be, you know, you could change the, the way businesses operate, etc. But I just want to ask you about your company. So intent-based leadership is, is your company. And you mentioned it right at the beginning about the VR dive. Is that the simulation you were speaking about that you analyze people's yeah. you know, behavior and discussion? Can you take us through that? What is the VR dive experience? Yeah, so this was super fun. So uh, I teamed up with a company in Berlin and we built a model. You take uh, four people, you put them in the VR goggles or in a submarine and they have these missions to accomplish. And of course, uh, we're putting people in an unfamiliar environment. First, the, just VR by itself is unfamiliar for most people. And then it's a submarine. So there's a certain amount of stress that's naturally introduced in this situation. And there are four positions. There's an asymmetry of information. Certain consoles have certain information that others don't. Certain people might see something going on that others don't. Do they share it? Uh, one of the things that's really interesting is what happens when people get confused because they get confused. Um, and, and, a lot of times, what you know what happens when people get confused? They don't say anything. Uh -huh. They don't say. And so there will be like three minutes of silence where the, say, the weapons officer isn't saying anything. And they're kind of fiddling around. And then we record the whole thing. And they're all fiddling around. So we play it back and say, hey, during this time, what's going on here? Well, I was really confused. I really didn't know what we were trying to do. I didn't know we were trying to rescue the people or shoot the other ship. It's like, but you didn't say anything. <laughs> I noticed you didn't say anything. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. Well, I don't know why I didn't say anything. Okay, you guys talk about that. And then that can be a one-hour discussion. Mm. Why are we, why? Because we want people to say something. And it layers thing after thing after thing after the culture, or it's not safe, or I'm not programmed. I didn't even think about it. I didn't realize that you could help me. And so, so it's super, super interesting. The comments we get are things like, because it gets you right in the heart. It gets you emotionally. Mm. We, we, we get, oh, they, this person acts exactly how they really act. As soon as they put the goggles on, they don't. It's very hard to. Uh, <clears throat> Is that something that you're still offering today in this COVID world that we're in? Yeah, uh, yeah we have a couple. Yeah, so we have a couple <laughs> partners, Berlin, and we have one in Berlin, one in Poland, in Warsaw. It's, we want to move it to a distributed platform. We built it on the, you need servers and that kind of stuff. And now, mm. now with VR, you can build it. So all you need is phones. We haven't done that yet. 
but yeah, you need to basically the way to go is to, to physically get in a room because it's the conversations that happen. So it's, we're sort of on pause until this COVID thing is knocked down. And there's so much information on your website and I'll have the, the link in the show notes. So internet, intentbasedleadership.com. Like for example, your online courses and blogs, et cetera. But when I went to your blogs, I saw cards, which are really interesting as well. Like um, your possibility cards. How do you use those? So probability cards, rather. Yeah, so we have, so we, I'm a simple guy. I just like to make like, <laughs> what's the tool? Let's just like, let's have something to play with. Mm. Cards, see here's my blocks. I like little wooden blocks. <clears throat> I like to make it physical. Yeah. So, the, so when we would say, what's, hey, do, we, we wanna go north or south or should we launch the product or not launch the product? We wouldn't, we would try not to ask the question in binary way. We would just say, okay, with your cards, if you feel strongly about launching the product, it's a 99, strongly about delaying launch, it's a one or any card in between and people would slide out their cards. And so again, just having people know that they have cards makes, mm. makes it encourages you to ask the question in a non-binary way. And then you're gonna get a, range of feelings because a bunch of people saying 50 and 80 is way different than a bunch of people saying one or 99 that you're what you're looking is to ask the question in a way which invites the strength of emotion to come out mm -hmm. we have another another card deck that we have our descent cards very simple they're just red and black cards and we would pass them out and if you got a red card you had to disagree with a group. And this is for groups where there's too much conformity. Oh, wow. About one to four, of one to four. And then we have ladder cards where we, this is the structure of here's what I, here's what I see, here's what I think, here's what I'd like permission to do, and then here's what I intend to do, then I just did it. And so there's this range. And so it makes, it makes all these things visible. Humans are very visible animals. And so the more we make them visible and tangible, the better it is for people. And, and what is a leadership nudge um, that people can roll, enroll in on your website? What, what, what is that all about? Yeah, so each week I do a little one minute, uh, one to two minutes typically video. It's on YouTube. Leadership nudges is the channel on YouTube. You can get a weekly email. And this is just little tidbits. Like when you run the meeting, you know, vote first, then discuss, use Fistify. Here's a tool, Fistify. Here's a tool, one to 99 cards. Here's a way to practice this. Okay. Go to dinner, get the, see if you can get the server to choose your meal for you. And the first time you know what you're going to eat is when they put it in front of you. And this is, so we have these little activities that you can do to train your brain, how what it feels like to actually be a leader, give control, and you have to live with the anxiety of what of not knowing exactly what you're going to get. And you got to make it safe for that person to make a decision for you. And the way you're going to do that is by connecting with them as a human being. And so rather than giving people a lot of lectures about do this, do that, do something, we just say, hey, try this. See if you can get someone to pick your meal for you. Try it at a high-end restaurant. Try it at McDonald's. Try it at when you're tired, try it in a different country, try it in a hometown, try it in a place you go every week, try it in a place you never, you never go to. Try it 
at the end of a long day? And how, how do you feel differently during all those different situations? When were you successful? When were you, when were you not successful? What, what, what did you say that, that made it okay for the other person to make a decision? Now you, now you can run all these experiments in a very safe place and then now apply it at work. Hmm. Uh, if, if you're not going out to eat because of COVID, you could try things like, what's the next book you're going to read? What's the next movie you're going to watch? What are you going to do this weekend? Where are you going to go? Where are you going to go on holiday when COVID, uh, once the vaccines come out? Whatever it happens to be, but give up control of, about something that you care about to another human being. Mm -hmm. And you're going to invoke exactly what you have to do, I think, to be a really good leader, which is allow people within bounds to make decisions and it hmm. comes and you're going to have to exercise all these things and so the the last thing david is that you've got your own website as well well so davidmarquet.com um so yeah. first name last name and then that's got similar content to intent-based um leadership but i i guess that that's where people go to book you for keynotes and to you know to to appear at events, et cetera, is that right? Yeah, we're, we're, we're gonna start splitting those out and make them a little uh, more different. But the idea is davidmarquet.com, that's about me, my speaking, that, that kind of thing. And then the Intent-Based Leadership, that's about the movement. We have a page, Intent-Based Leadership Institute on LinkedIn. So that's about our, our partners join in there and post content, stories and different things that, um, that we learn and practices and stories that we hear and content and studies that are interesting and that kind of thing. So the idea is I got, I, I'm trying to do the same thing with this movement that I, I did on the submarine, which is I'm trying to decouple it from my, me as personality. Mm -hmm. So leadership can't be about me, the personal person, because that's a fragile situation. And it will be true for the movement as well. And I don't have all the, I, all the ideas. And so I just posted a thing. I got a great thing from Gareth down and uh, a great nudge from Gareth in New Zealand doing open water swimming, talking about this idea of red work and blue work. And uh, I talk about this in the book, but he, yeah. he filmed it on the beach, standing on the beach in a wetsuit saying, so when I do open water swimming. I don't have a line like in the pool to follow. So I have to navigate. It requires me to raise my head, but then my forward propulsion slows down. So I want to just keep swimming, but I might be in going in the wrong direction. So at some point I got to pause and raise my head. So how frequently do, you know, how long do I swim before I pause and raise my head? If I too much and I go too slow, too fast, I go off course too much. So I need to balance those, balance those things. And as a, in a team, we generally like, we're happy. We're just doing the work we're, we're just, it's the, it's the continue play. I'm happy swimming with my head down. I just, I raise my head finally, and I'm like, oh, I'm way off course. <laughs> Swam an extra half a mile. <laughs> um, David, so we've run out of time, but I, I just, before the podcast, we were talking about the 14 submarine scenes in movies and TVs. And so I just want to encourage everyone to find that as well. I'll have the link in the show notes where you rate uh, Navy submarine uh, scenes. And not to give it away, because they need to find it themselves, but an actor who's just passed away in the last month or so is yeah. rated number one. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I love that. Uh, that was a lot of fun. That was a lot of fun. 
So everyone, look at the show notes and go and look at that video. So thank you so much, David, for joining today. I really appreciate it. And thank you so much for your book, Our Leadership is Language. I hope, obviously, it's a bestseller and hopefully it gets adopted throughout the world in every business setting. So thank you so, so much for spending the time to talk to us today. Thanks, I hope you, the listener, found this as interesting and useful as I did. If you'd like to contact me, then please do. I'll have all of David's details in the show notes, but my email is lance at ideastorm.co.za. And website is www.ideastorm.co.za. So until next time, goodbye. Stay safe and well. Bye-bye, everybody. Bye.